Amen, amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus, your one and only son, to be the cornerstone of our lives and for everyone who would look to him and find life. And so God, that's our prayer today, that we would look to you again, that we would see Jesus and his infinite worth, whether for the first time we're looking and seeing how magnificent and, 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 and just full of, of riches and abundance, Lord, that, that he is, or God, whether it's just that, that thousandth look where we're saying, yes, Jesus, you're worth it. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you with everything I am, with everything I've got. And so, God, we thank you that Jesus is our wisdom, that he is our power, that he is our righteousness, that we have no right to even uh, come before you uh, except for he has given us his right standing with you. His righteousness is now within us through faith in his work. And so, God, would you speak to us now as we open up your word, as we uh, turn our attention to what you have said, what you have revealed to us, God, we want to we want to receive with humble hearts today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 18 today, starting in verse 18. And we're wrapping up our Essential Church series today with a, a message titled simply, We Follow Jesus. Can we all say that together today? We follow Jesus. One more time, a little louder, and I can't hear you those online. I need you to speak up through the screen. We follow Jesus. Nice job, okay? I hope that is a true confession of your heart today and your life today. We follow Jesus. If you remember last week, maybe you were here, you caught it online. Uh, we, we looked at how God is our ultimate leader. How he, just as he led the people of Israel in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, he is still leading us. Christ is our good shepherd. His Holy Spirit is within us now to lead us every single day, moment by moment. And today we want to zoom in. We want to press in. Sometimes, you know, it's good to press into a theme. You ever just in your Bible study, maybe devotional time in the morning, you're reading through a chapter of the Bible. You think you've got a plan, you know, I'm going to read these two chapters, I'm going to read these three chapters. And then all of a sudden, God's like, wait, hit the brakes, like stop, press in. Press into this word, press into this phrase, and you start getting your Bible, you, you're cross-referencing, you're seeing those little, like, oh, and this is, it says the same thing here in a different way, and it's reinforced. I mean, that's what we're doing today. We're pressing in on this idea that God is our ultimate leader, and he is inviting every, I love just great news of the gospel, that it's for everyone, that whoever hears the call of Christ is invited to follow Jesus with their lives. And so we come to a, a moment, a story in the, the life of Christ where, and Jesus loved people, and he was always, you know, he, he spoke to the crowds, but he had a, a special eye for individual people because every person matters to God. Every soul has infinite worth before the eyes of God. And so Jesus has this 
individual conversation with a man that we just know he's young and he is influential in a position of leadership. Luke, Luke calls him a rich ruler. And this conversation that Jesus has with him is going to teach us about what is the, at the essence of what it means to follow Christ. Maybe you're considering that today. Maybe you're, you're new to Christianity, the story of Christianity, or maybe, maybe it's something that you experienced a little bit, you know, growing up because your mother or your, your grandmother and father took you to church, but, but you're reconsidering again. What does this really mean? Or maybe you're following him, and this is just a, a word that you need to be reminded of. This is what it's all about. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. And a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come here it is follow me but when he heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich jesus seeing that he had become sad said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many more times in this time and in the age to come eternal life. We have this encounter, this story of Jesus and a young, you could say, millennial. I mean, he's just a, a young man. We don't, we don't, Matthew's gospel tells us that he was young. Okay, so we have this, this young millennial who is interested in spiritual things. And so we know he's influential. He's, he's got a, a, more than just a little bit of money, and, and he's in a position of leadership, okay? We don't know if he was a civic leader, a religious leader. We just know that he was a person of influence, and he was interested in spiritual matters. And so this interest brings him to a 
question that he poses to Jesus, which is life's most important question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But what we find, and as you read the Gospels, if you're new to Christianity and and you want to learn more about the life of Jesus, go read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what you're going to discover is that Jesus often will answer a question with another question. And so what Jesus does here in his response is he he gives a a response that's multidirectional, okay? Um, he, He first says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And Jesus, being the smooth teacher that he is, is loading this response with two truths that the rich ruler needed to hear and we need to hear again today. Number one, Jesus implicitly questions his definition of goodness and our definition of goodness as well. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, your goodness is not that good. What you believe is good doesn't compare to God's definition of good because after all, no one is good except God alone. But then secondarily, with this statement, I can't help but wonder if Jesus had a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye when he says, no one is good except God alone, and you are calling me good. And oh, by the way, I'm not refuting the fact that you are calling me good. You you follow me here? In other words, Jesus is, is not refuting the implication that, yes, he is more than a man. He is God. And so Jesus goes on to reinforce this idea that that the rich ruler is not as good as he thinks he is by listing out uh, five of the, the Ten Commandments all related to how we relate to one another. He says, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't murder, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And, and, and the rich ruler with a very sincere and yet presumptuous response says, hey, Jesus, I'm a pretty moral guy. Like those, those standards, those, those commands, like I've been keeping those since my youth. But Jesus in his compassion does not interrogate him, does not expose how, yes, in fact, he did fail at keeping. I mean, has anyone in the room kept these commands perfectly? Absolutely not, right? Like none of us have kept God's commands and Jesus would even expose us and say like, you know, it's not just about committing physical adultery or or physical murder, but if you have anger at someone in, in your heart, you've broken God's commands. If you lust after someone in your heart, you've broken God's commands. But Jesus in his compassion, he doesn't go there, but he does get to the heart of the matter. And with his next five words, Jesus levels some of the heaviest words that this man could hear and consequently that we also need to hear today. He says, one thing you still lack. One thing you still lack. 
And he goes on to say, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. What Jesus is doing is he's not only helping the rich ruler see that he is not good in terms of keeping all of God's moral standards, but in fact, his love of riches exposes an idolatry in his heart that shows he has broke the first and greatest commandment, which is what? You shall have no other gods before me. And this rich ruler, by breaking, we need to understand today, by breaking the first commandment, we have, in essence, broken every single one of them. Because if we're not loving people out of a love for God, we're not really loving people as God has called us to love them. To break the first is to break the rest of God's commands. And so Jesus is doing Jesus things. I mean, I mean, just imagine, put yourself in, in this rich ruler's shoes. I mean, he's, he's probably thinking when Jesus asks him, hey, one thing you lack, sell everything, give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. This guy's thinking like, Jesus, like, have you seen my 401k? Man, I, I am loaded, like stacks on stacks on stacks. I roll with Caesar's crew, man. Like, I am very, very rich. And yet with this, Jesus clarifies the issue. Because in essence, what Jesus is saying, we all need to hear this today. Jesus is not looking for performers. He is looking for lovers. He's not, listen, God did not create you so that you could keep a bunch of rules. God created you so that you could enjoy a relationship with him. And out of that relationship, then we want to honor him and live a particular kind of way. But we get it twisted. We, we, we think it's about keeping rules and then like performing our way to God's approval. And God is saying, look, I love you. Just love me in return and then live according to that love. And so Jesus clarifies the issue, but then, of course, he also forces a decision. And listen, Jesus always forces a decision. He brings this young man to the tipping point of his allegiance. Will you love me more than you love your riches? Because for this person, he, he valued his valuables more than he valued Jesus. And so listen, I don't, I don't know what it is for you. But what I do know is this, is that Jesus speaks these words to every single one of us. One thing you still lack. If there's anything that's, that's a barrier between an all-in commitment to following me, I'm going to ask you for it. So that you can find ultimate freedom in life in the path that comes from following me. Verse 23 then takes us in to the, to the ruler's response. Do you see it? It says, but when he heard these things, sell it all, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And follow me. He says, when he heard these things, he became very sad. Some other translations might say, very grieved within his soul. 
for he was extremely rich. Jesus then looks at him and says, how difficult it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the crowd, stunned at this statement from Jesus, says, well, then who can be saved? In, in, in that day, much like sometimes we trip our way into thinking that material blessing means that God has shined his favor on us. And so they equated material wealth with spiritual blessing, and Jesus is saying that's not how it works. They're seeing this moral person, this person who had experienced much material blessing, and they're assuming, hey, he must, like, if anyone is in with God, it is this rich moral guy. And yet Jesus says, not only can your morality keep you from the kingdom of God, but so can whatever it is that you love the most, including your riches. And he emphasizes, emphasizes it by giving this uh, analogy uh, from their everyday world. He says it's easier for a camel, the largest animal in Palestine, to go through the eye of a needle, okay? Like you've ever threaded a, a, a piece of thread through the eye, this little teeny tiny opening, okay, Jesus is stating an impossibility. It's impossible if you love your riches more than you love God to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are shocked and they say, who can be saved? And then Jesus gives a word of hope and he says, with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And if we fast forward at a chapter, we would see this tax collector who was absolutely loaded like this rich ruler named Zacchaeus who hears the message of Christ and he enters the kingdom of God out of a life that was changed. But, but what I love is in this conversation between the rich ruler and Jesus, we have the disciples hanging out in the background. And Peter, who was often the spokesperson for the rest of the, the, the 12 closest followers of Jesus, he speaks up and he's, because he's processing, right? Like he's hearing this whole conversation about sell it all, give it away and follow me. And he's saying, look, this is exactly what we've done. And so in essence, he raises his voice in verse 28 and he says, Jesus, what about us? See, we have left our homes. We've left everything and followed you. And for every person who has said, Jesus, you are the greatest treasure. Yes, I will follow you no matter what. I will gladly get rid of whatever it is in my life that stands in my way of following you. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times in this time and in the age to come. To summarize this story, what Jesus is helping the rich ruler see and what he's helping us see today is that to follow Christ is a costly commitment 
but it carries a greater reward. There's a costly, you want to follow Jesus? It's going to cost you. But if you pay the price, you will receive a greater reward. Why are we, why are we looking at the rich ruler today? Well, why are we ending our Essential Church series with this conversation on what it means to follow Christ? Because this story helps us see what is at the essence of following Jesus and, and consequently what it looks like for us to follow him together as a church family. What does Peter say in verse 28? See, we have left our homes and we have followed you. The essence of Redemption Hill Church and any true church, a church is simply a group of people, a group of individuals who have said, Jesus is the priority of my life and I will get rid of anything that stands in my way of following him. So if we're going to move forward together, if we're going to move not just through 2020, but beyond 2020 and keep marching forward together as a church, this is what brings us together. It's our commitment to follow. You see how this works. Like if, 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 if I hear the call of Jesus and I'm following him, and Rich hears that call, and Juliana hears that call, like, then we can't help but come together. And what I want to do now is give you three encouragements around what this can look like as we hear the call of Christ together to unite, to come together. And, and, and this is, listen, I think this is so important for us. Because not only this is what is essential to our church, but number two, unity is absolutely critical and crucial in these days. Perhaps now as much as ever, or perhaps more than ever in our existence as Redemption it is it is so crucial for us to be united. And you know why this is, right? I mean, number one, we have... All these masks on. And you look good in your mask. Some of you have some really smooth masks. I need to ask where you ordered those, okay? So like, like, the co like COVID realities have naturally pushed us. I mean, just look at the seats. We can't even like, if you're not in your social bubble or house, like you're six feet away and, and, and no one likes that. That's not what God made us for, right? So, so COVID has naturally pushed us out away from one another. Perhaps you feel isolated in this season, lonely in this season. Let me say online crowd, our, on, our, our, our church that is participating and worshiping online. Listen, we see you, we love you. We can't wait to have you back with us. But listen, you were as much a part of Redemption Hill and the mission of Redemption Hill as long as you're comfortable watch, watching and worshiping online. We're in this together. COVID must not separate us. We should do whatever it takes to come together all the more as we answer the call to follow him. But then, number two, you know this. We live in what is, seems to be an increasingly divided country. The political polarization right now is like off the charts 
And it seems like, you know, you have to like, you have to like side with like the, the far right or the far left. And by the way, let me just give a little bit of a preview for some of the things we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. Like Jesus is not on either side of the, the extreme. Jesus is not a Democrat nor a Republican. He's the king of his kingdom. But we live in this divided land where there's so much polarization and, and you can't say something without backbiting or tearing someone down. But most importantly, beyond COVID and, and what's happening in our country, listen, the mission of Christ is as urgent as ever. We have an opportunity every day to follow him and invite other people into this journey to follow him and because there's nothing better. And so that's why I want to give you three encouragements on what it looks like to unite around this call to follow Jesus. Number one, and take heart, I'm going to move through these very quickly. Number one, unite under his costly call. Unite under his costly call. Jesus says, I am first. I must be first. Numero uno. Number one, I must be first. Sell everything that you have. And so it's not surprising that the early leaders of the early church understood this so well that they would say things like uh, this in Romans 13, verse 14, clothe yourselves with Christ. Some of you gonna remember this banner that I bought last fall uh, without my wife's permission, um, but I love it. I even designed it. You know, it wasn't hard, just got to pick out the font, but Jesus is, he's our banner. So just like, imagine, let me see how if I can do this, you know. Uh, just imagine, this is, what, this is what Paul's saying in Romans 13. Clothe, yeah, this right, I got it. Clothe yourself with Christ. So that when people see your life, they see Jesus, you know. They, they see Jesus. When you're at your work, when you're, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're running to the store or the grocery to get, like, Jesus is what they see. Jesus is like the, word, like the words that you speak, they're reflective of, of how Jesus would speak to someone, what he would say, that, that you're an encouraging presence to them, that you're loving them, that you're laying down your life so that they can benefit in their life. Clothe yourself with Christ. Romans 13, 14, Philippians 1, to live is Christ. That means like anything and everything about my life, it is defined by Jesus. It is, it is all about Jesus. And then Paul would also say in Colossians chapter three, verse three, oh, come on, you didn't know I had two. Y'all didn't know I had two now, come on now. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3, somebody memorize it. For you died and your life is now hidden. You can't even see me. My life is here with G. I got, I'm clothed, I'm hid. My life is all about him. You know it's a hype Sunday when Pastor Tanner breaks out the double banners. These are flags. We're gonna wave the Jesus flag up in Redemption Hill for the rest of our existence. Hopefully that's a long time beyond the time of my passing from this life to the next, all right? This is who we're about. Jesus Christ. He's saying, make me the priority of your life. Listen, if you have not done this, today is an opportunity for you. 
You, you may be here today and you may be like the rich ruler. I mean, you may really, like God has blessed you. You have a, a great job, very successful. Maybe you're wealthy and God is saying to you, like he said to him, one thing you still lack. But perhaps it's not riches that you love that, that hold your greatest attention, affection, and allegiance, but maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's accomplishment, degrees, and promotions. Maybe it's your work, and you're just, you love your work so much that you're, you're working not just 40, 50, you're putting in the 60, 65 hours a week because you just treasure your work so much and your work is standing in your way of a, of a full and complete commitment to Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's comfort and safety, image and reputation. What, whatever it is, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hand the keys of your life over to me. I have a better way for you. I have a better plan for you. But you have to realize, listen, this is going to take humility. If we zoom out and we read the larger chapter of Luke 18, what we're going to find is Jesus telling a story about a tax collector and a Pharisee. Pharisees were religious rulers. Everyone thought they had it all together. But when the Pharisee came to pray in the temple, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this, this person. But when this person, the tax collector, the sinful person prayed, he just got on his knees and he beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need your mercy. I need your help. I need your grace. I don't have it all together, God. And Jesus says, this person went home justified. In other words, this person went home in a right standing with me because he had humility. He is, his heart wasn't full of pride. And then in the next story, he talks about children coming and sitting in the lap of Jesus and the disciples are, are, are all messed up. Like, why are you wasting your time with kids? We have big things to accomplish, Jesus. And they actually rebuke them from bringing children. And, and Jesus says, you don't know not much about my kingdom. Because my kingdom belongs to children. If you don't become like a child, you will never enter my kingdom. What is he saying? He's saying you have to have trust and humility and dependence in your life if you want to follow me. And so we get rid of like whatever. I want to ask you today, what is the barrier in your life? What is the one thing holding you back from a complete commitment to Jesus Christ? Whatever it is, listen, not just for you who are maybe considering following Jesus for the first time, but, but even for you who have been following Jesus for years, listen, the competition for our priority is always in existence. And so we'll hear the voice of, of God saying once again, lay it down, deprioritize that so you can keep me as the priority of your life. We unite under this costly call to follow him. But, but it's not just a costly call. It's also uniting behind his direction. We unite behind his direction. This, this shared commitment leads us to a shared direction. And why is that? It's implied in those two words, follow me. Like when, when we follow Jesus, we follow a God 
the only one true God who is actually moving somewhere. He's leading us somewhere. And I love saying unite behind his direction because the longer I study the Bible, and I've been sharing this quite a bit lately, all right, so hopefully you've caught it by now, but let me say it again this Sunday. Listen, unity does not happen primarily by hanging out. And those of you who, who know me know that I love to hang out. It's fall, I'm gonna say it again, bring me a campfire, bring me some marshmallows, I'll show you how to make the best one ever with, with the double schmello plus some uh, peanut butter and some Nutella, all right? I learned this at Pastor John's house. Uh, he didn't teach me, I was teaching him how to make the best uh, s'more ever. And I mean, it was incredible. We were taking s'mores to places they had never been, all right? So it's like, man, I love that. Let's hang out. But unity is not found in simply hanging out. It's not just about sticking together. It's about moving together. I mean, the, the Patri Patriots Week 2. I mean, you know, Cam Newton, we all love Cam now. And, and, and you know, we come together because we love the. What's the ultimate end of coming together as Pats fans? Doug Boat Parade number seven, right? Like we're hoping and praying it's this year. Let's go pass. Let's, let's go back downtown. Maybe COVID's freed up and we can do a big parade in January or February, whatever. But, but listen, that's as good as it gets. But when we, when we move with Jesus, he, he's giving us a, an invitation to a life that is so comprehensive that it touches every endeavor of every moment of every day. Whatever you spend your time doing, you can just, whenever you, whenever you check your, your watch tomorrow, your iPhone clock, all right, just remember that whatever moment you see there, 10, 11, 127, 4.02, right, like that moment is for the kingdom of God, whatever it is. And the way of Jesus is the way of love. He's calling us to love God. These are the two greatest commandments. Love God with everything you are, and we help each other do that together. And then he's saying, love your neighbor, which includes those inside of the family and those outside of the family. So, so we, we not only love God, but one of the ways we love God is by loving one another. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. We support one another. We bear one another's burdens. We meet with regularity so all of these great things can happen and more but we don't just keep this love to ourselves and our family, but we wanna see other people discover how amazing Jesus is. And so we move out. We move in step with him. This is so important because I, I, I view today's sermon as, as a great bridge sermon to take us into next week when we start a four-week series on justice it's about seeking justice as we look at racism and the fierce urgency of now. And why is this, why is this so important? Unity is paramount, not just so that we can stick together, okay, listen, not just so that we can say, yes, I love you and what matters to you matters to me. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. If you rejoice, I rejoice. That's love, that's sticking together but it's not just sticking together. Listen, it's moving together. So we're gonna seek the heart of God's justice and we're gonna do it together. We're gonna raise our voices together. We're gonna take action together. 
This is what it means to follow him. I love it as one New Testament scholar said, more like a a preaching pastor, he said, Jesus is moving toward those outside and to stand still is to fall behind him. We're moving because Jesus is moving. We're united behind his direction. And then number three, listen, we unite for his great reward. We unite for his great reward. I love how this chapter, this section ends. Because when Peter speaks up and he says, what about us, Jesus? We left it all. We, we, we left our, 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 our thriving uh, fishing business and we left our, our parents and we, we, we were following you. Jesus gives a staggering promise. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left anything for me that won't receive many times more in this life and in the life to come. There is a great promise of reward for us. Yes, the call is costly, but the reward is so much greater. What Jesus shows us here is that he has a calculator and he knows how to use it. Anyone remember the days of high school? I can't remember the Texas Instrument calculator. It was like a TI-81 or two or something. It had like 400 buttons on it, you know? And, and I needed a tutorial, like every single pre-calc class, because I still don't know like how to cosign this and tangential that, and it's just like was blowing my mind, right? But Jesus has a calculator, and he knows how to use it. And he says, look, if you give up something for me, look, I will multiply blessing in your life. I will multiply satisfaction in your life. I will multiply that sense of purpose that you wake up with every single day as you follow me. And so the words of Christ here in Luke 18 give such an echo. And I love coming back to this in our Essential Church series because about 98% of you would have no clue that on the very first Sunday of Redemption Hill, we looked at one verse, April 10th, 2011. We looked at one verse, Matthew 13, 44. I want you to write it down. If you have your Bible, go and underline it, highlight it. Like this is the essence of what it means to follow Christ. This is the essence of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven. You want to know what God is like? You want to know what God's kingdom is like? This is what it's like. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then... In his joy, did you know that God wants you to live a life of delight and joy and gladness? God is a happy God. He invites us into his joy. It's not a drudgery. It's not boring to follow Jesus. It says, then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. What Jesus is saying is that to know me, to follow me, to belong to the kingdom of God is worth so much more than any other pursuit in this life that you would gladly trade it for that. Jesus is better. That's the message of Luke 18. That's what Matthew 13, 44 is saying. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna encourage you This week, here's the challenge for us as a church. To earnestly pray 
Matthew 13, 44, over our church family. All right, you might want to write this down. No, it's not on the screen. Okay, so earnestly pray, Matthew 13, 44, over our church family. When I talk about earnestly, what I mean is this. You're taking every phrase of Matthew 13, 44, and you're saying, Jesus, I want, I want my church family to see. I'm praying for Aurelis, and this is not just specific phrases, but specific people. I'm praying that Aurelis would see that you are her greatest treasure. You're better. All the people, I know she loves her family. She loves her kids. She loves her husband. But Jesus, love you the most. Or, or, or Derek, man. Derek is a, a leader in his workplace, and, and he's leading people, and he's caring for people. But that Derek would 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 so value you that he has joy when he goes into his workplace because you are motivating his work. Specific phrases, specific, God, if there's anything, if there's anything in my guy Joe's life, God, help him to just give it up freely. God, help me give it up. Anything that's holding me back, maybe it's my screen time, maybe it's Celtics game four, maybe it's like whatever, if you're calling me to give it up, God, you are better. This is our opportunity to answer the call to follow Jesus. And this is so serious. I know you want to come to church today and it's like, you know, I want to be encouraged. That's great. I hope you are. But when Jesus puts out this word and he speaks it into your heart, he knows that it's a matter of life and death for you. God does not call us just to a path. God calls us to a person to find our life in him. To find, listen, I was thinking about it this week about what it means to follow me. And when you see the footsteps of Jesus, what do you see? The footsteps of Christ are glowing. They're radiant. They're shining, they're sparkling, they're footsteps of life and love and peace and overwhelming abundant joy. And this is there for us. It's there for us to all follow him together. And so I wanna pray. And listen, if you've never made the decision to go all in with Christ, if you've never called out and made Jesus the complete commitment of your life, better than riches, better than relationships, better than your work, better than you fill in the blank, would you have the humility to take this step and to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to turn my life over to you and I'm going to give you everything today. You can just say that in your own words right now. And then when you do on your way out, let us know so that we can celebrate with you. I might even break the rules. I know I can't do that. Okay. But I want to give you the biggest hug because there's nothing better than following Christ. And for all of us, we're, we're invited into the same call, the same story, the same reward that Jesus offers us again and again and again, every day, follow me. God, we ask that in these moments, you would make them more than just another Sunday, God, that, that we would hear your voice, that we would hear your call, that we would know that you are so much better. 
and that we would gladly forsake anything and everything to say yes to you and to follow you and to find a life and an eternal life that is full of life and full of joy. So God, help us. Give us the humility. Help us take the step and then bring us into the adventure together of following you, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.